Hey, we are Mark chapter 9 this morning, and uh, we're going to get started here, but we're going to pray first, and we'll go from there. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship, have a place that we can have a little break, have a little reset, be reminded uh, of what's important, and pray, Lord, that you would show us uh, what our relationship with you is like, that it's more than rules. And Lord, uh, how is it and why is it that we believe? And so, Father, we thank you for this passage and what Mark wrote down through the guidance of your spirit. We pray that you would use that same spirit to help us understand this morning what we need to know to be what you've called us to be. And so, Father, we pray that this morning would be to that end. We pray a blessing over this time that it might honor and glorify you and your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 9, welcome to the second half of the book. Yeah, we're on the back stretch now. And uh, Jesus has been, from from chapter 1, he kind of came on the scene and he's kind of on the loose. He's, he's not really staying in one place and he's all, he's all over the map geographically. He's also all over the map spiritually. He's addressing all kinds of different spiritual issues. But at the same time, people have figured out that he can heal and do miracles. And so uh, some people are seeking him out for a sign. And like last chapter, uh, Jesus is, is kind of says, you know, why does this generation seek a sign when really what they need is they need spiritual healing. And so he's going around drawing crowds for many different reasons. He's traveling all over the place. Uh, And chapter 8, he asked a lot of questions that we talked about last week. Chapter 9, we're going to see several different stories. And we're going to get into a little bit of a theme where people are starting to understand what's going on and that Jesus is advantageous, having him around. He can heal things and and he's going to be in charge. And if he's God, well, then, you know, there's some... There's some lower management positions right underneath Jesus. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be important? Um, who who are the real followers and who aren't? And, and there's a little bit of pride and stuff that's going to come out in this chapter. And really what Jesus is going to draw attention to is the idea that belief is more important than any of these other things. Uh, more than your performance, uh, more than your physical capabilities. He's going to get into all of that. Uh, Mark 9 starts out with one of Jesus' little phrases. He starts a lot of things by saying, truly I say to you. Uh, He's going to give us this little phrase. It's a little bit confusing, uh, but we're going to talk through it really quickly. And he's closing up his discussion he's had last chapter. The Bible was broken into chapters for you. You know, it wasn't originally written with big letter eight and then go a little farther than big letter nine. Somebody put those chapter breaks in. They put the chapter break for nine in one sentence early, I think. You'll understand why. Let's get into it. Mark chapter nine, verse one. Here we go. And he said to them, see, he's already talking to them and you're supposed to know who them are. Well, you'd have to read chapter eight to understand because we're still finishing the last scene. He said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Wow. It's a pretty good sentence, right? Is that good news? It's encouraging. Well, what's the good news coming out of that? We're not going to taste death. You can imagine some of the guys sitting around hearing this. Jesus says, hey, you know, some of you, you're not going to die. Till, what's the next set of good news? kingdom of God is going to come and and the kingdom of God it's not just coming it's coming with power right 
Sounds like a good commercial or something. Uh, isn't that good news? But so there's a little confusion to it too, right? Because it says, you shall not taste death. And then there's this little disturbing word, right? It comes right after that. What is it? Until. Wait a minute. If the kingdom of God comes with power, um, why is there still death again? Death's going to come at, after the kingdom of God comes in power? Well, wait a minute. If the kingdom of God comes in power, shouldn't death be over at that point? I mean, really good news, Jesus, but what's going on here? I think it's interesting to me uh, that Jesus kind of says, uh, you know, there's two sides. There's always two sides to everything. It says, yeah, the kingdom of God is coming in power. And yes, some of you won't even taste death until it comes. But, even when the kingdom of God comes with power, there will still be death. There will still be difficulty. Whole thing. Uh, kind of interesting to me, uh, because he says, they're not going to taste death until, and here's what I know, uh, all of those guys have died. Which begs the question. What's the question that must be begged at this point? If we know all the disciples have died and he had that conversation and he promised they wouldn't taste death until after kingdom of God has come with power, then the question that begs asking is, is what? Has the kingdom of God come in power? If it did, when, where, what happened? Uh, did we miss a chapter or a whole book? Or what? Where did... Kingdom of God come with power. Is that a good question? Anybody curious about that? Any any thoughts? I got a thought. Kingdom of God came in power at the cross. When God shows up on the scene and says, I'm going to solve everything. I'm going to set everything straight and I'm going to set new rules. We're going to totally change the game. Not even death can can, can contain me. It's almost like Jesus is saying, not until kingdom of God comes with power, that means it will come before you die, which implies, when's it coming? Soon. Right? They bust it out in the song. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. I'm pretty sure the um, disciples were all good southerners, right? <laughs> uh, that's the argument I would make. I would make the, the kingdom of God did come in power. Greatest display of power I, I think there is. A brilliant way to solve it. Brilliant storytelling. I mean, you couldn't even write this stuff. Not in uh, thousands of years in Hollywood. And it's great news for us. Because if the disciples, before they died, get to experience the kingdom of God with power, or in Espanol, con ganas. What's that mean for you? Don't make me climb over a couple rows of chairs. Okay? What's that mean for you? Duty. We get to experience what? Death? No. Come on. The kingdom of God. Con ganas, right? We got a shot at the same thing, right? This is why she leads the study on Wednesday mornings, okay? It's Judy Clark, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Uh, this is good news for us. 
I mean, honestly, folks, great story. But if it's only for them, if they're the only ones that get to experience kingdom of God with power, I think I'm out. I need a God that engages me. Because otherwise it's just a story. Great story. Great for them. But the question is, does it translate? There's too many things going on in this world for me not to have a God who can, number one, be on the scene. And number two, with power. Jesus shows up on the scene, predicts a bunch of it. Then he does it and says, here's what you have access to. You have access to the actual directions for the real game. What's really going on? Let me explain it to you. Brilliant statement. Verse two. And after six days, what? It's over? We just move on? No description, no explanation, no definition, or just next story? Welcome to chapter nine. <laughs> See, I think that first phrase should have been up in eight, but whatever. Uh, it's a, it's a pre, prelude to what's going to happen coming forward. Here we go. Uh, verse two. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up the high mountain by themselves. Wait a minute. I never heard of the three disciples. I always heard of the 12 disciples. Aren't there 12? There's 12 here. Okay, we're going to know this for sure because in a few verses it's going to actually say the number 12. Okay, there's 12 of them, but only three get to go. Why only three? Inner circle. That's what first service said. You cheaters. You stole the answer. That, um, can you get written up for that, Gene, for something like that? Yeah, right? Because uh, you said inner circle. I'm, I'm sorry. It sounded like what you said was favorites. Jesus play favorites? He took Peter, James, and John, but he didn't take the others. Oh, you don't want to say he plays favorites? Let me rephrase. Would you like to be one of Jesus' favorites? Yes. yes. Oh, Absolutely. Please, sign me up. Thank you. May I have another? Right? Uh, I want to I point out to you the inequity of life. Not everybody gets to do everything. And here's what you need to know. Not everybody gets to get your time. Not everybody gets to get your best. You, you have to do the best you can when you can, but you can only go so far. And there's times where things are going to click with you and some people. And then there's times where it's just not going to click. And you get caught up in that. And the inequity or the it's not fair or whatever. Or you can just say, look, there are limitations to life. And spiritually, when you're paying attention and when you have faith and you're moving forward and you're doing the best you can, God might give you what looks like more attention than someone else. Is that fair? Because, uh, look, there's two sides to everything, remember? There's two sides. It's going to come back to haunt us at the very end today. Okay? But there's always two sides. And I wonder, uh, what could the other nine have done to make it up the mountain? I don't know. But I know these three guys did. And watch what they get to experience. 
because of their effort, because of their faith. Six days later, they go up the mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Jesus was transfigured before the three boys. Um, What does transfigured mean? Changed. How? Well, here's all you get. Okay, ready? His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. That's all you get. That's what transfigured means. Now, are there people out there with a lot of ideas as to what transfigured means? Yes. When you read all those ideas, know that all you really get to know is there was something that happened and it, one, got their attention. The three boys, it totally had their attention and had something to do with him being really, really bright beyond anything they've ever explained before. Now, they tried to use the word bleach to explain it to us because somebody translated it for you. They didn't have bleach back then. Right? But somebody's trying to help you understand. Other than that, we don't really know what transfigured means. Moving on, verse 4. And they appeared to them, Elijah and Moses. And they were talking to Jesus. How do you know? It says, Elijah and Moses were talking to Jesus. Prove it. Ready? I'll give you 20 seconds. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. You tell me how you can prove that uh, those two guys were actually there. Time out. Eh. Wrong answer. <laughs> you don't get to know. You take it at face value. You take it by faith. Or another way of saying that word that starts with a B and is at the top of your outline. You take it on belief. Peter, James, and John are going to think it was them. Let me ask you this. Peter ever meet Moses? Just, just a little chronological line there, okay? Like Moses is way over here. Peter's way over here, okay? Peter's like ancestors, 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 ancestors didn't get to see Moses, okay? They're very separated. Uh, by the way, same thing's true with Elijah. A little bit shorter uh, time frame, but still far enough. Peter never met Elijah. Neither James, neither John. When those two guys show up on the scene, how do they know that it's Elijah and Moses. We don't know. Maybe Jesus told them. There's a whole lot in the conversation that maybe we don't get to hear, isn't recorded. Mark just says, look, is what happened. And on some level, we have to take those things on faith. Much like many other things in your spiritual journey. You just got to take them on faith. Not because you had an eyewitness, not because it makes sense or you can mathematically define it or whatever, but you've got to kind of go with it and see later if it makes sense. I'll take it on belief first and later I'll understand it. So they're talking with Jesus, verse 5, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, um, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, Now, we know that Peter thinks that's who they are. Jesus does not correct them, but we don't know really what goes on there. In fact, Jesus doesn't say anything. Here's the ironic part about this. Okay, imagine you're Peter and you think it's Elijah and you think it's Moses and you're for sure it's Jesus and they're having a conversation. Are you really going to be the kid who walks into the room where a conversation is going on and you blurt out your loud question? Hey, should I make a tent or a dwelling for you guys? Like at some point you need to recognize you're probably the one that should not be talking. 
don't interrupt that conversation. I mean, like the last time you were the dumbest person in the room, did you, did you know? Like when you finally figure out in any environment, you're the dumbest, take it from somebody who knows. Okay. I've been in a lot of rooms where I was the dumbest person in the room. And the moment I figured it out, what did I do? How'd you know that? How'd you know that? Because it's not your turn to talk. Like, and if you talk, they'll find out what? That you're the dumbest person in the room. You don't want them to know. If anything, I mean, Peter, shut up. Why are you talking right now? You're going to build a tent for each of them? Now, that's a sign of respect, and we're going we're gonna to cover their heads and provide a place for them. A very respectful, honoring thing for him to offer. But really, what he should have been doing is just taking it in. The real re- if you're the dumbest person in the room, the real reason for you to be quiet is not so that they can't find out that you know less than them. It's so that you can do something else. What is it? Watch. Peter said to Jesus, uh, for he did, verse 6, for he did not know what to say, uh, for they were terrified. That's an understatement. And a cloud overshadowed them. Right? He says that. And then a cloud shows up and a voice came out of the cloud. Who's, whose voice? Cloud. You know, prove it. You take that on, on faith or belief. Right? And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son. Who is it? Jesus. But who's talking? Right? He says, this is my son, which kind of makes him the father. And now we got a better argument for why it's God. Right? And when he says, this is my son, what's the next word? Listen. Listen. The reason that when you're not the smartest person in the room and you be quiet is not so that they won't find out. It's so that you can learn by listening. Pay attention. See what they're saying. Take it in. Rich? This is the second time God has brought that to people's attention. Are you listening? This is my son. There you go. Right? Good job, Rich. He says, listen to him. That's funny. What? Tell us something funny and I miss it? Yeah. Peter speaks up when he's supposed to be quiet and God shows up on the scene and says, stop talking. Listen. That's funny. Right? And, and what's even funnier is not Jesus that stops him, the cloud, and God the Father starts talking to Peter. You know, Peter's been corrected by Jesus already. Right? Ha, Satan, get behind me. Right? This is the last chapter. What, what are you doing? And Peter says to Jesus, and it may it never be. This time, God the Father shows up. Now, if I'm as ignorant as Peter, and I'm interrupting things and asking questions when you know important people are around, I'm, right here, I start asking more questions. Wait, God the Father is talking to me? This is your son? Tell me more about him. What should I listen to? What's he going to tell? I mean, you got an opportunity here. He misses out on that. In fact, the story ends right there. Watch this. He's terrified, overshadowed. Lord, loud voice came out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. And suddenly look around. There no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. Next slide, verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, scene's over. Anybody scratching their head like me? Wait, wait, wait. Jesus goes up the mountain, brings the three boys with him. He has a conversation with Elijah and Moses. We hear nothing about that. In fact, all we hear is Peter say, oh, can I make you a tent? And then God says, hey, 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 be quiet. This is my son. Listen to him. The story's over. What's the point of that whole story? 
Listen to Christ. You think that was just for the three boys? No, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it wasn't for just the three boys. I'm pretty sure the other nine got to hear it. I'm pretty sure of that because one of them wrote it down in this book so that everybody could hear it because it was meant for more than just the three boys. How many times in life should we stop talking and listen to Jesus? This is the guy that has conversations with Elijah and Moses and God the Father. And yet we always think we have something to say. Amen? I know it's a dangerous amen, but it is amen. Right? As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is now a second, at least, I would argue third time that he's predicted his death. Okay? Till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Now, do you think the boys are really confused about what it means to be dead and then to be alive again? Was that the part that was confusing? That's not the part that was confusing. How's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? Who's going to be involved? Will I be there? Why does this need to happen? Can we avoid this happening? You can imagine these boys are, in a lot of ways, they said terrified, but confused out of their mind. You think they understand what's going on? No idea. They are walking by faith and belief for sure. And talking about coming from behind when it comes to information and not having enough answers. These guys are living it in spades. They kept the matter to themselves. And they asked him, uh, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Oh, now we know that they thought maybe it was Elijah because now they're asking about Elijah. Maybe, maybe not. You see, uh, Jesus had said in that first phrase, remember we read? Not until the kingdom of God comes with power, some of you won't taste death. The boys, they're getting a little smarter. They're trying to do the math and put the puzzle pieces together. Say, wait a minute. You're acting like kingdom of God is coming soon, but we know from prophecy that Elijah is supposed to come first. And when Elijah comes first, he's supposed to set all things right. Things are not all right. They still aren't till today. Amen? No, I mean just reference the two political parties. There you go. Uh, things are still not all right. And yet you're acting like kingdom of God is coming soon. How can kingdom of God come soon if Elijah hasn't come? Isn't that what it says, Jesus? Good question. And now the boys think they've seen Elijah in a conversation with Jesus. Explain. And he said to them, Elijah does come, does come. What tense of the verb is that? Past, present, future. He's speaking in the present, but he's talking about the future, right? He does ongoing action, present, come first to restore all things. He's talking about that in terms of the prophecy itself. In the prophecy, he comes future. If that's true, how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer, right? Next slide. Many things and be treated with contempt. Jesus says, great question. You want to know, did Elijah or when Elijah? Because he was supposed to set all things right. But 
If Elijah is supposed to come and set all things right, then why is it written that the Son of Man will come after him and having set all things right, still will get treated with suffering and contempt? What happened to all things set right by Elijah who comes first? How does that make sense to you, boys? Maybe the all things set right looks differently than you thought it was because Elijah has come. Watch. But I tell you, verse 13, but I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased. Does that sound good? No, but it is as it was written of him. It's already happened. Now we have confirmation that kingdom of God is coming soon. It's just coming differently than you thought it would. Verse 14, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them because that's what scribes do. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you where I thought you were. I only found your disciples, but I, I thought I was bringing my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. Mute and deaf or just mute? Just want to stick that in your head for later. It's going to come back around. Uh, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. Great question. Great, great request. And they were not able. Disciples uh, believe in Christ, follow in Christ, power of Christ, and yet couldn't do it. You got a question? It's confusing. You want to know why that why, Whoa, why didn't it work? Watch this, verse 19. And he said to them, Oh, sinful generation. Is that what it says? Oh, wicked generation. Is that what it says? Oh, disobedient generation. Oh, fallen generation. Oh, ignorant generation. Oh, incapable generation. Small generation. I mean, of all the things that he could have said out of frustration... To them, what does he choose? Oh, what? And those with faith are those who believe. He says, uh, here's your problem. Belief. He doesn't say, oh, sick generation. I mean, the obvious one to me, oh, possessed generation. I got a kid that's possessed. Maybe sick because of it. And yet, what he says, the real problem is faith or belief. Believe in Jesus. Now, I'm curious. Uh, it doesn't say who he's talking to per se. I mean, the disciples are right there. But then this man uh, of the son is there. And there's this other crowd. Uh, who's he talking to? It doesn't tell us ever. I'm very curious if he's talking to the boys, though. The dis disciples. The nine. I mean, they were the ones that tried to cast it out, but they couldn't. Were they the ones lacking the faith? Was it the father of the son? Did he, is he the one that lacked the faith? I don't know. But Jesus made this statement. doesn't say it to anybody. Love it. Why? Because now we can own it. We can pawn it off on the nine, and then it's their problem. Or we just make a general statement and say, ah, oh, it could have been me. One of them could have been like me, and maybe I need to ask questions about my faith, my belief. How, how would I have handled that scenario? O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? 
what? Jesus doesn't want to be around his people? He wants to leave them? Maybe. Or maybe he wants a faithful generation. And maybe both statements are more about how long will you be faithless? And when will you come to faith? Because that's the generation I want to stay with. That's the generation I want to be with forever. That sound like it fits more? I don't think Jesus wants to be away from people. It wouldn't make sense that he came to be with people born in a manger if he didn't want to be with people. He wants to be with people. He just wants to do things and teach them and relate to them in such a way that they believe in him and now they are a faithful generation. That's how I want to be with for how long? He says, but how long? Let me work on your faith. Bring me the kid. Love that. He doesn't say, I'm leaving because I don't want to be with this generation. He says, let me change this generation and maybe changing this generation will start with me dealing with the kid because what do you know is going to happen? Dad shows up, mute kid, and Jesus is on the scene. What's going to happen? He's going to heal him, isn't he? How do you know that? (laughs) Belief. Because you believe it's going to happen because of the track record, right? You take it on faith. Bring him to me, he says. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Really? Spirit doesn't say anything? There's a little thing that's happening here. And I want you to see it because it crescendos over the course of the book. Most of the gospels, it it is this way. When Jesus shows up on the scene the first time, there's an unclean spirit or whatever. There's a dialogue or an interaction. The second time, maybe there's one or two sentences of interact. Now this time we're up to chapter 9. It's crescendoing. Spirit doesn't even get to say anything. And Jesus' command that he gives the Spirit in a couple sentences is going to be even harsher. Now the Spirit doesn't even get to speak and he's going to get an even harsher command. Jesus is starting to assert more and more of his power. Uh, let out more of his identity. Make it clear and clear, right? Fallen at the mouth and, uh, and fell on the ground. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Really, what? He's starting a conversation with dad? Did you see what's going on in there? There's kids flopping around. He's not doing well. He's foaming at the mouth. And you want to say, hey, Dad, uh, let's do a medical history. I need to fill out the rest of the chart. Wait. Why is it that Jesus is not concerned with what's going on with the kid? Because he knows he's going to handle it. Because he knows he's going to solve it. It's because he knows the kid's going to be okay. Do you believe those three things about your life? Jesus can handle it. Jesus is going to solve it. And you're going to be okay. I know you know, Rich. I got to ask the rest of them, though. Okay. Uh, He said, from childhood. How long has it been? From childhood. Verse 22. And it often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, look at the top of your outline. That's what he said. No, that's not what he said. But please look at the top of your outline. It's the same verse. Right? And Jesus said to him, if you can, exclamation point. You know, in the other gospel accounts, it's usually the writer puts a question mark there when it translates. If you can, you realize what the guy just said to Jesus? If you can do anything, that's good comedy, folks. He's not one of the disciples. He hasn't been traveling with them. He hasn't seen all the things. What's he lack? Faith. Faith or he lacks experience, right? 
He lacks information. But he lacks faith. He lacks, he doesn't believe. He's heard about this Jesus. He brings his kid to this Jesus and, and he's wondering, will it or will it not? If you can do anything, is it a challenge or is it a statement about his faith? It's probably a statement about his faith, his lack of belief. And Jesus says, if you can. Hmm. <laughs> Love that. All things are possible for one who believes. I want you to underline if you can, and I want you to underline believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. But those are great questions about faith. Can he? If you can, is that a question you ask Jesus? You know, if you can, Jesus, you know, if you will, kind of pansy questions, aren't they? He says, if I can, that's what you're going to say to me? All things are possible. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my son. I believe, help my problem. Help my sin. Is that what he says? No, no, no. This is brilliant. The, the dad figures out what the main problem is. It's not the possession. It's not the unclean spirit. It's not the son. What does he say the problem is? He says, here's the problem, Jesus. I believe, and yet I don't believe enough. I believe enough to know that I don't believe enough. Is it possible to believe and have doubts? Yes. Which one do you have more of? The beauty of uh, our relationship with the Lord is that we can believe in many things, and still have doubts and fears and frustration and, and more things that we want to drag from unbelief over into belief. And Jesus takes his time with us and lets us travel alongside it. Somebody after first service came up. He said what he think, thought was interesting about the interaction is that the man had enough faith, enough belief to know that he needed to ask for more. Oh, couldn't have said it better. I think I'll let him preach sometime. Right? Brilliant. I believe, help my unbelief. Because that's the real problem. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and. We said anything about death before? You said mute. Like I can't talk. Maybe you can't hear. I don't know. Is, is, is Jesus healing more than they asked for? knows more of what's going on. I don't know. Maybe it's just a thing that was left out and it's insignificant. But I like the idea that Jesus is holistic in what he's about to solve. You deaf, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him. We've heard that before. Here's what we get for the first time. And never come back. Never enter him again. Before he used to cast out the demon. Hey, go into those pigs. Yeah, you can go into those pigs. He doesn't say anything about what's going to happen later. This time he says, right now you're coming back, uh, you're coming out, and later you're never coming back. He's asserting more authority. And after crying out, verse 26, and convulsing him terribly, he came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of the people, most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. A little devotional thought for you right there. You know what Jesus wants to do with most of you? Most of you, he wants to take you by the hand and lift you up. So you can rise to whatever's next or out of whatever's you've been struggling in. 
little devotional thought. We're going to move on. Uh, verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, uh, what, what just happened? <laughs> That's really what they asked. They translate it differently, right? Uh, why could we not cast it out? You know, the, the, we, we dealt with the unclean spirit for a little while. You were off. You were doing something. I don't know. I heard you were up on the mountain. There were some bright lights. Anyways, uh, we were down here dealing with the real problems, Jesus, and we couldn't solve it. What's wrong? What's going on? We could not cast it out, right? I'm going to emphasize a couple of things and you're going to get it. I'm going to ask you a question after I emphasize a couple of things and you're going to answer it without me telling you the answer. I think first service couldn't do it, but that's okay. We're praying for them. Eventually they'll become second service people. Okay, here we go. We could not cast it out. And he said, this, this kind can be driven out, uh, not by anything, but prayer. We could not cast it out only by prayer. When you pray, who does the work? Why could they not cast it out? Because they're not God. They forgot to ask God to do the heavy lifting of what only God can do. See, Jesus comes on the scene. He is God. He say, hey, get out and don't ever come back. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right? A disciple shows up and says, oh, I'm... I'm I'm with Jesus. I can do this stuff now. Hey, you! I command you to come out. Hey, it didn't work. I forgot where the power comes from. Who gets the credit? Who does the heavy lifting? In fact, we had a story quite a while back. Jesus told the story. He said, nobody can throw out the strong man unless he's a stronger man. Right? Implying who he was. Boys are getting a little mixed up. Uh, maybe that's why the nine didn't get to go up the mountain. Right? I wonder if the three had been there. You know, their faith and their experience with, you know, they got to let them go up the mountain. Well, when they're up the mountain and Jesus up the mountain, the nine that are left, uh, dropped the ball, right? The subs couldn't hack it, right? Whatever, I don't know. We don't know any of that for sure. But it is a great reminder to us that under our own power, we cannot do things many times. And when we do things, who really did the heavy lifting? God did if we're smart, we prayed about it. Uh, verse 30, then they went on there and passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. I, third, maybe, maybe even fourth time he predicts his death here. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Anything confusing about that? They're going to take me. They're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm coming back to life. About as simple as it gets. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Did he just say, what does that mean? Oh, you don't know. You ask, ask him. Ask him what that meant. I'm not asking him. You ask him. I know. We'll get Mikey. <laughs> Let Mikey ask, right? They didn't have Mikey back then. Do you guys remember Life Serial commercials? Okay. For some of you, are like, what's he talking about? Right. Hey, Mikey, he likes it. Uh, they didn't have Mikey, so nobody asked him. They came to Capernaum. Uh, Peter's uh, mom lives there. Synagogue's just right outside Peter's mom's house. Right next to that is the wine press, vineyard, right? They got the mill, a uh, little stone deal. It's a circle. And then they run this uh, circular wheel that kind of spins in a circle around this thing and it crushes the grapes. It's called a millstone. Why'd I tell you that? Because there's a millstone coming. Ready? Uh, but they did not understand. They come to Camerton, and when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what were you discussing on the way? What were you guys talking about? 
But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> dumb, dumb disciples. <laughs> didn't, didn't you just get finished with the conversation of, we couldn't cast it out, and he said, you didn't pray. Who's the greatest? God is. This discussion never needs to come up. But yet, doesn't it sound like a group of teenage boys? Uh, who's first team? Who's second team? All the, uh, he sat down. He said, oh, time for family meeting. He sat down, uh, called the 12. There's our number. And he said to them, if anyone would be, he must be the Raiders. No, no I'm just, uh, uh, if, if anyone would be first, he must be last. What's most important? Greatest? Maybe faith is more important than greatest. Maybe what you believe is more important than greatest. In fact, what Jesus says, best is last. And last, and when you're last, be a servant of all. I want to dance a, a tightrope here for a second. Okay? I will never go Republican or Democrat on you. As your pastor, I promise you this. But I am very nervous with the phrase, make America great. Why? Why do you want to be great? Do you want to be great so that you can be last and serve how many? All. Is that why you want to be great? If that's why you want to be great, great. But if you want to be great just to be first, now I got a problem. I won't go Republican or Democrat on you. But I will go Jesus on you. And when I hear things that make me nervous, you're going to hear about it. Because I really don't care about who my president is. I do care about, do we serve people? Are we for people? Which people? All? all? How, how many is that? Dumb question, right? Obvious question. I want to be the country that is servant of all. And if we're first, I think that should mean we're last rather than greatest. Or we define ourselves as greatest because we serve all. That's a dangerous tightrope to walk, isn't it? Because now, well, what do you mean when you say that? What do you mean when you campaign that? What do you mean when you wear that hat? And what do you mean when you vote this way? I, that's rough because now everything is a discussion. We're going to find out what's the motivation. What's our motivation? Who's the greatest? Jesus, right? God. That's our motivation. We've got to be real careful. Boys get into that discussion. Jesus sits them down and says, Hey, family, and this is what we're about. Um, commercial. That's what tonight is all about. Why are we here as a church? Rock Bible Church is what we're doing. That's our family meeting tonight. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, and he took a child and put him in the midst of them which they would never do. You don't take a, a rabbi and his disciples and then bring a kid into the midst. It's just not appropriate, not in that culture. But Jesus says, what do you know about appropriate? Come here, kid. Brings the kid over, okay? And I think he took the kid and, and, and took the kid and put the kid's hands in his hands, facing out, and said, see this kid? All right? He took the child, put him in, in their midst, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, well, we're supposed to receive, okay, but we saw some people casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them. (laughs) What? John says this. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. us. What an ugly word. What an ugly word right there, isn't it? They're following. It says they were casting out in whose name? Jesus. Who are they following? Jesus. Jesus. But they weren't following us, so we tried to stop them. How backwards is that? And John says this. Jesus said to him, don't stop him. For the one who does, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon after to speak evil of me. It says, if they're doing stuff in my name, they're learning, they're getting closer, they're figuring it out. They're doing, why would you stop them? For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water uh, to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And they're doing what's good. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea a couple yards from here. He's teaching these guys probably right next to Peter's mom's house, right next to the synagogue, right next to the vineyard and saying, if you mistreat people, even little kids like this, who you're in the custom of mistreating. And I tell you what, I'm going to take that rock, I'm going to tie it around your neck, I'm going to throw you in the water right there. It's about as close as it could get. Which kind of kids, by the way? Was it a boy or a girl? doesn't say. Is this a Jewish kid or a non-Gentile? doesn't say. You get one descriptor about the kid. You know what we get? Go back a slide for me. One of these little ones who believes in me. I think that's significant. He's talking all chapter about the power and the importance of belief. And he says, hey, you know when one of these little kids believes in me? You better make sure you don't lead them astray. You better take care of them. How many of them? All. Right? Because you're last now. Pretty cool what he does. Go back for me. Next, uh, next slide. Thanks. Uh, so we got the millstone. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 43. Did it, did, wait, did it just say that we're cutting off hands? What? It is better for you to enter life cripple than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Does it matter if you have two hands? doesn't. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better if you enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Uh, Does your value depend on whether you have two working feet? Amen. Uh, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Uh, Does it matter to God if you can see? Does it change your value? No. It would be kind of scary because he's talking about cutting things off. And you remember, what did you say just a few sentences ago? Kingdom of God is coming soon. So we're going to need to sort this out quickly. Okay, so good news. I uh, brought a nice little knife this morning. So if you have anything that needs cut off this morning, uh, come on up. We'll form a line. Is that what he's talking about? Please, I know you're smarter. First service, they started lining up. It was scary. I was like, sit down. What are you doing? Right? No, uh, this is not the point. His point is this. 
your hand your hand could cause you to stumble, but where where do things really go wrong? In the heart. Because the problem is I cut off one hand, what do I still have? Still got another hand. If I cut off the hand because I did something wrong, maybe that negative punishment will make me rethink what I'm gonna do from now on with my left hand. And maybe it'll change not my hand, but it'll change my heart. It'll change what I believe. Because two chapters ago, in Mark 7, verse 22, it says, For out of the heart is where all evil comes from. And then it lists off a bunch of stuff. It's not your foot, your eye, your ear, your hand, whatever. It's not those things that get you in trouble. It's your heart and your mind that get you in trouble. He says it'd be better that you cut those things off if it will change your inside to where you believe because otherwise you will be where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That does not sound like a happy place. For everyone will be salted with fire. Verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Isn't it 49? That sounds like the 49er season, doesn't it? Everyone will be salted with fire. I don't know. Is that? No, it's probably not significant. Uh, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Little analogy, but Jesus explains it with the last sentence. Have salt in yourself. You're going to be salt or you're not. If you stop being salt, you'll never be salt again. But be salt. Here's how you do it. You have salt in your health by being at peace with one another. How do you be at peace with one another? You stop trying to be greatest and you start believing in God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. All right, let's let's get through. I know we're back to only three fill-ins. It's like, oh, I was worried about Scott. He kept having more than three. We're back to three and we're going to be okay. You know, I love this uh, first one, uh, first verse, uh, first set, uh, verse seven. This is a story where you've got the three guys, James, Peter, uh, John, up on the mountain, and Jesus talking to Elijah and Moses, the whole thing. Peter interjects and interrupts. Hey, you want me to buy a, build you a house? And God comes on the scene and says, hey, um, are you listening? Before you fill in any fill-ins, look at that. What does it say twice? Are you listening? You know, there's an abundance of evidence around you. Abundance of things that God's doing, trying to get your attention. Are you listening? Because God comes on and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. There's two things that he's saying in that, I think, for us today. Who are you listening to? First one is, who are you listening to? Because are, are you listening to God? Or are you listening to somebody else? Because I tell you what, the majority of the people, the majority of the people, most of the people, the vast number of most people on this planet are not listening to God, period. You can find them on every team and every classroom and every business and every culture and every community, every town, it doesn't matter, most families. You can find people that are not listening to God, they're listening to somebody else. And here's why I don't care who my president is. So I'm not listening to him. I mean, I gotta listen to him because he's the president. But ultimately, who am I listening to? I'm listening to God. That's who I'm listening for. Who are you listening to or who are you listening to? And what are you listening for? You see, when you start listening to God, then you start listening for what he's talking about. Hey, you guys want to be greatest? All right, everybody, come here. Sit down, circle up. Here, look, look. You want to be first? You better be last. You want to be greatest? You better be least. You want to be served? You better start serving instead. 
In fact, next chapter, they're going to get into service. This one, they talk about belief. Next chapter, they're going to get into service. One of my favorite verses I learned back in like middle school. I never forgot to this day. I memorized it in a New American Standard Version. So it's a little bit different than ESV. So I apologize for next week in advance. Okay. But the, it, it begs the question, who are you listening to and what are you listening for? Right. And then belief is more than first. Verse 22 and verse through verse 24, that's a little exchange between the father with the, uh, the unclean spirit in his son and Jesus where he has this little thing. He said, hey, hey, you know, if you can, can you help me? And, and Jesus says, if I can. Are you really asking me that? And you have this little exchange. He says, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. He figures out what the problem is, and what he says is functionally between he and Jesus, what they say is belief is more than first, it's everything. We think we got to understand it, we got to perform, we got to have two hands and two functional feet, and we've got to be capable, and all these different things. And it's just it's not true, it's a lie. You need to be first. Actually, what you could be, if you could be last and serve, you'd probably be in, in, in better shape. But it begs the question, what do you believe? Do you believe that he can solve it? Do, do, do you believe that if you thought you had one problem, but he actually knew you had two, that he'd cast out both problems when you didn't even know about the second one? Because first they said he was a mute spirit. Later on, when Jesus goes to cast him out, he says mute and deaf. Do you believe that God could solve the things you don't even know about? Do you believe that you'll be okay because God will take care of you when you are the dumbest person in the room? I totally believe it because I've lived it too many times. Amen? What do you believe about needing to understand what comes first? You understanding or you believing? You know, most people, it needs to make sense. They need to like it. It needs to be comfortable. It needs to fit their schedule and then not take too many of their resources. And it has to be socially acceptable. Then I'll believe. You know, Jesus says that. Oh, you faithless generation. How long do I have to put up with that? What more must I do to get your attention and prove that I'm worth believing in? Hey, send the kid over here. Watch what I do with this kid, with this unclean spirit. Do you understand now? No, you don't. Because I'm telling you that I'm going to go die in three days. I'm going to raise again. You're too afraid to even ask me. What do you really believe? Where do the answers come from? What can he do? If I can? Begs the question. What do you believe? And then lastly, verse 35. It said this. You know, if, if anyone would be first, he must be last. Your job is be last. What if you decided from now on in your family, you're going to be last? In your relationship, you're going to be last. Well, is she going to believe that too? No, we're not talking about her. We're talking about you. What if you decided you're going to commit to being last? You're going to serve the people in your in different environments, relationships. And you don't need to be first. You don't need to be greatest. What if, what if you started looking at how could you do most rather than how little can you get by on right 
This is math. This is basic math, okay? You will all understand this. I'm not going to do math, okay? Some of you are panicking already. But this is a math concept, and you, it will totally make sense to you, all right? I hated in math when you would get a, like, you know, you'd get a sheet and some homework problems, and you go home, and you got to do figure it out and get the answer, and you write the answer. And then you come back, and you turn in, here's your 10 questions, and, and she says, or he says, uh, good job, you got 9 out of 10 right, but you get zero credit. And you go, what? What do you mean zero credit? Why did I get zero credit? How did you know that? You didn't show your work. And I, I, I got to the point where it's like, this is, I mean, I figured, I, I looked at it in my head. I can boom. I know the answer. The answer was four. I put down four. I got the answer right. Yes, but you didn't show your work. So I don't know how you got the answer. What? But I got it. But just can't you take it on faith, <laughs> right? No. The question for most math students is how little can I do? Rather than how much can I do? How much can I do to prove to you I get the math? I used to, this is another one. You ready for another one? Uh, if you're a youth pastor, you would come to hate this question, okay? Because you'll get it almost every week about kids' sexuality. Kids will come sometimes in a large crowd in front of a whole bunch of people. Other times, very sheepishly and timid, and they'll pull you aside and you know, they ask you. But you would get this question more times, I mean, a penny for every time. How far is too far sexually? Right? And, well, how far, like, how much can I do and get away with it without getting in trouble? Like, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? And finally, because you... You can only answer, ask, answer the question so many times you just get frustrated and you start making stuff up, right? No? You don't do that? Oh, it's really fun. No, um, I would just say, go ask your grandma. You know, this is a good answer to the question. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I started projecting with them. You're asking how close to the cliff can you get? I think you should be asking how, how hard can you hug the mountain? Why would you, why would you dangle with the prospect of trouble or crashing or falling, rather than why not stay as close to the mountain as possible? It's funny, spiritually, it's the same way. You know, when you're driving, you're driving, you can see over the cliff, you're in the right lane, that means your right tires are over, and you're on the left side, you want to hug the mountain, but there's oncoming traffic. So you're going to hug that middle line, because, you, I mean, if you hit somebody over here, okay, maybe, if you go over the cliff, that's way worse. That's a not live. Over here, I might take some bumps. But over here, I might not live. We're going through life trying to figure out how we can be first and get the most and be the greatest and be served and all that kind of stuff. And God says, you know, you're dangling over the cliff. Why don't you hug the mountain? Why don't you try being last? Why don't you see what that looks like? Put other people first. Yeah, when people, other people are first in your life, how, how, do, how do they respond to you? They're nice because you value them. They feel safe. They feel honored. They feel like they can open up. You know, you might have more opportunities in last than you do in fourth or sixth or first. You know what I mean? Here's, here's a, way I've, a weird way I've experienced that. People used to tell me all kinds of stuff because I was just a youth pastor. I was just a high school coach or whatever. Then you become the senior pastor 
or the head coach of the team, and now they're not telling you anything. It's the weirdest thing. At one of my churches, I was the youth pastor. I knew all the dirt in the whole church. Everybody would come tell me. And I didn't realize this. They weren't telling the senior pastor. I finally was like, well, go, go, tell, go tell him. Don't tell me. I, one, I can't do anything about it. Right? One, you know, being last has its advantages. Except at the DMV. <laughs> Let's pray. Amen. Lord, uh, thank you that, uh, that although we get things backwards and wrong and out of place, uh, that you do try to get our attention. You do push us to this idea that understanding is not the most important thing. It's what we believe that's most important, and understanding will come later. And I pray, Lord, you would show us what, what does it really mean to follow you? What does it really mean? To make the decision that we're going to believe in you and trust you. That your plan might be different than ours. But we're going to ask the questions and do the best that we can. So I pray, Lord, if if there's any here this morning that have never made that decision, and if you're that person, you never said, I want to believe in you. You can do that today. You say, I, I believe, but I, I need to believe more. Help my unbelief. If that's you, say that prayer to God. I want to believe you from this day forward. I want to trust in you, follow you. Understand the value of being last so that you can be first. If you've already made that decision... Maybe, maybe you're just a Christian here and you know, you know there's some things that need to be cut off. Not literally, but some things that need to change inside of you because it's within you that's struggling. And you believe already, but you, def- you definitely need to believe more. You fill in that prayer. You, started, you can start it with this. God, I need to believe more. Father, thank you for the opportunities that we get with you. And that you are the one who brings the kingdom on the scene with power before we die. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to experience that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.